All right, who's ready to start? Let's get going while we're putting the plates away. I'll make a quick announcement. Um, the, this ministry, Disciple Dojo, we just, our new website went live Saturday. Um, it's the, the web address, discipledojo.org. D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-D-O-J-O dot org. And the good thing about it is, it's really, really simple. It's you, three options. Train the spirit, train the body, and then about us. So you find out about the ministry. It's just three buttons. You click train the spirit, and it takes you to the courses, video courses we have, the podcast, audio, all the stuff um, that our web team has put together. So it's really cool. You can watch the courses. You can listen to the podcast. You can even uh, find my books on Amazon. It's a neat, really all-in-one, and it's got cool little video intros. I didn't do any of it, so I can't take any credit. But it's, uh, it's, and it's geared for mobile too. So if you have a mobile phone, it looks good on mobile instead of having to squint and see the tiny writing. Uh, if you're still using a flip phone, then don't worry about that. What I just said probably makes no sense to you. So, but it's really, I'm excited about it because it's, it's easy to navigate, it's intuitive, and it gives you a place to send people. Like, hey, I do this Bible study. Oh, what's it like? Well, we get Ruth's Chris food, so that's one thing. Um, but you can also get a 30-minute lesson every week. Here, listen to it. Download the podcast. Or here, here's a link right to the YouTube videos. So it's a good way to introduce people to this ministry and for when you can't be here and you miss a week. You don't just say, oh, I missed it. I'll catch up. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Catch the lesson. Stay with us. Keep going through Scripture. We're on a journey together. Uh, and so we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to do that. So all of that is part of what just the generosity, the support, the donations go for. Um, we had a fundraising seminar this past Saturday where I brought all of my refugee students to a place where I trained jujitsu and had them the special belt promotions. Some of them got new belts for the first time. They were super excited. We did a little obstacle course that they got to run through. And uh, it was a really good time. We raised about $2,700 for the ministry. So <clears throat> it was exciting, it was good, and, and what we're doing is bigger than just this Bible study, and so I wanted you to know that because you coming every week and showing your support is a big part of this ministry in partnership with Ruth's that we team up for, so thank you for that. And that being said, let's get into Numbers. We did last week an introduction to Numbers chapter 28, and we talked about the importance of holiday seasons for Israel. We talked about the importance of their national civil religion. It was part of who they were as a theocratic nation, you know, literally a nation under God, not under God, around God, because he was camping in their midst in the tabernacle. And we talked about how he wanted to be in everything they did, but not just surfacey. He wanted it to come from the inside out. He wanted their hearts before he wanted their sacrifices. And that's a theme that resonates all through the Psalms, all through the prophets, and all through the New Testament as well. Uh, it's not what, how you observe it's why you're observing that matters truly to God. And so the way then chapter 28 breaks down is Israel's, it's kind of their calendar for the year. It's a condensed account. It's not exhaustive. There's um, supplemental material in Leviticus 23. There's supplemental material in Leviticus 1. Um, these things are explained in greater detail elsewhere. Day of Atonement's explained, Leviticus 16. So you're getting part of it, but in... in chapter 28 of Numbers, you're getting the overall, this is how your year is going to flow. And it doesn't start with the year, it actually starts with the day. 
So it says, verse, chapter 28, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, give this command to the Israelites. Say to them, see that you present to me at the appointed time the food for my offerings made by fire as an aroma pleasing to me. Say to them, this is the offering made by fire that you're present, you are to present to the Lord. Two lambs, a year old without defect, as a regular burnt offering each day. Prepare one lamb in the morning and the other at twilight, together with a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter hen of olive oil from pressed olives. This is the regular burnt offering instituted at Mount Sinai as a pleasing aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The accompanying drink offering is to be a quarter hen of fermented drink with each lamb. Pour out the drink offering to the Lord at the sanctuary. Prepare the second lamb at twilight along with the same kind of grain offering and drink offering that you prepare in the morning. This is an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. So the first of the offerings. Now the, the burnt offering was covered in Leviticus 1. Go back and check the podcast or the video if you want to know what burnt offerings were and the importance and significance of it. But every day in the morning, as soon as it's dawn, and in the evening, just before it becomes dark, was going to be this whole burnt offering. And it was going to be a lamb, one in the morning, one in the evenings, and then these amounts of flour and oil, which was about a, a, gal- a two liter and one liter. So about two liters worth of flour, one liter of oil, and then pour out a drink offering. This is an interesting thing because the, the drink offering, NIV translates it fermented drink, shikar is the Hebrew word, or shikar, and it's, it, 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 it's liquor. I mean, it's not like the potency of, you know, moonshine, but it's up there. It, it's not just wine. Uh, it, there's, the, the word for wine is different than the word for this stuff. There's question whether it was some, based on some Akkadian references, they think it might have been barley beer. Uh, Egyptians were known for types of barley beers. And so it might have been beer. It might have been something more like mead, which is you know, kind of more up north. It might have just been a stronger version of wine. We don't really know. What we do know was it was strong, and it was alcoholic, <laughs> and it was offered to God. Now, this makes teetotalers uncomfortable. You know, in the Bible Belt, some parts of Christianity say all drink is poison from the devil and should be avoided. Well, you can think that if you want to, but that's not what Israel thought. And it's not what God commanded. Uh, the, in Scripture, alcohol, if, do a study of alcohol sometime, how it flows throughout the Bible. And what you're going to see is it's, a, it's, it's presented in two contrasting ways in Scripture is presented as something to be celebrated. It's presented as something to give when someone is feeling miserable or when they're sick, like Paul tells Timothy. It's presented as something that accompanies celebrations, like Jesus turning water into it. It's seen as joyous to a limit, and then it's seen as dangerous. Then it's seen as a poisonous viper. Then it's seen as something that ruins. And it's this interesting dichotomy of like how something that God enables, that's what it is, fruit of the vine or produce, produce of the fields, can be great up to a point. And then it becomes deadly. And God never lays, and, and so he, he never, in Scripture, you never see it laid out like, okay, you can have this many drinks and then we're cutting you off. You know, you can have, it's because it's more of a relational thing. It's like this is something, and anything taken to its extreme can become evil. Anything. Anything. So, 
this is one of those examples. The only reason I mention it is because there are some Christians today, especially evangelical Christians, who would be uncomfortable sitting in a room with a full wine cabinet. Uh, you know, there's, there's translations of the Bible. I have one on my shelf called the Purified Translation where they change every instance of the word wine to the word grape juice. So you read about the miracle of Jesus turning water into grape juice in that translation. And they say because wine is clearly the Lord would never turn something into a sinful drink. I mean, that's literally, I have it. I can bring it. It's in my, I have a joke Bible section, like Bibles that are just a joke. Um, that's on the shelf there. They don't intend to be a joke. I think they're a joke. But that's, that's an example. But right here, every day, every day, you started the day, Israel started the day corporately, worshiping God through burnt offering, through a, 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 a meal offering. Remember, that's what the sacrifices were symbolic of. It was a meal. It was sim- symbolizing God is eating among us. So God's there at breakfast. God's there at dinner. Right there in the midst of Israel. Every day. That harkens all the way back to Genesis 1. There was evening. There was morning the first day. There was evening. There was morning the second day. It's this daily rhythm of worshiping God. Your day begins with an acknowledgement of God's provisions. Your day ends with an acknowledgement of God's provision. And here's the thing. You do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, God says, you know, you're going to go about your work. Evening, morning, you get up, you work, you create, you do your thing, just like I did at creation. That's why I gave the creation account in that structure. Sixth day, on the seventh day, you don't. You rest. And you trust that what I give you to provide during those, what I provide to give you during those six days will be enough to last you on that seventh day so you don't have to work unlike every other people around you. Who, the Sabbath was something that was unique to Israel. No other ancient culture that we know of had the concept of Sabbath. So we read then in verse 9, On the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs a year old without defect, together with its drink offering and grain offering of two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. So Sabbath you made double the sacrifice. Now this is not each individual person. This is happening in the tabernacle. This is the, this is the corporate worship of Israel. The daily rhythm. So you have evening, morning, daily. Then you have seven. You rest. You, you offer joyous extra to God. We'll read more about the rest in a minute. But you offer joyous extra sacrifice to God. And you trust that you not going out and working in the fields that day, God will take care of what you need. It's, a, it's an act of faith. Sabbath has always been an act of faith. You know, there's a re- the reason we don't keep Sabbath is not because we want to work more. It's because we think we have to work more. I got this to do. I got that to do. If I don't do it today, then it's not going to get done. And, and whether you think that's Saturday or Sunday, whether you think that should be a daily, weekly thing, or whether there's more flexibility, the New Testament allows for different perspectives on that, and we aren't even there yet. But the, per- the point is, whatever Sabbath observance was, it was always an act of faith and an act of trust. And an act of, especially in an age before there were refrigeration units, right? Where food would spoil if you left it too long. Before there were airtight, climate-controlled storage where things would eat your crops before you could get a chance to use them. Before there were bank vaults and police forces. You know, your, your safety, your livelihood, your family's ability to live was very much in your own hands in the ancient world. So Sabbath was a huge act of trust and that's what nobody that we know of 
Nobody other than Israel did that. So then it goes on. So that's daily, weekly. Next iteration is monthly. Verse 11, on the first of every month, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. With each bull, there's to be a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. And with each lamb, a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. This is for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. With each bull, there's to be a drink offering of half a hen of wine. That's about half a gallon. With the ram, a third of a hen. And with each lamb, a quarter of a hen. This is the monthly burnt offering to be made at each new moon during the year. Besides the regular burnt offering with its drink offering, one male goat is to be presented to the Lord as a sin offering. We saw that sin offering meant a purification. At the, every month, there would be a purification, a, a, a cleansing corporately of the sins committed in ignorance. That's what the sin offering cleansed. It didn't cleanse the sins you did on purpose. This was for the sins done in ignorance. Sins done on purpose, you had to wait. That came at Yom Kippur. But now we see monthly at every new moon, Rosh Chodesh in Hebrew, every first beginning of the new moon, the new month. The Hebrews kept a lunar calendar. So we do our calendar based on the sun, a solar calendar. Theirs was based on the moon, the cycles of the moon. So the new moon was when the first person saw the first sliver of the crescent moon as it started to wax or wane, wax, can't remember uh, whichever one as it started to grow that was the new moon that was the new month that's how they kept track and it matched the agricultural seasons and we'll see that it lines up so we've seen this rhythm and it's based on Genesis 1 it or it harkens back to Genesis 1 daily offerings there's evening and there's morning you acknowledge God daily weekly offerings there's a Sabbath where you doubly acknowledge God's and thank Him for his, his, his provisions. And then every month, there's the new moon. And you honor Him with a special new moon festival. It was more of a big deal earlier in Israel's history. Later, the new moons kind of started to decline. And part of it probably was because during the time of the prophets, God flat out said, I hate your new moon festivals. Because they had just become an excuse to be debaucherous and to continue ignoring all the behavior you were supposed to do as long as you kept the new moon celebration. So he said, you can read, we won't look at it, but read Isaiah 1.13 or Hosea 2.11. He flat out mentions, references this chapter in content and just says, I despise this. I'm going to put an end to this. And it wasn't because there was anything wrong with these things God had given. It was because the people were doing these things, like we talked about last week, they were keeping the outward observance, but their ethic was anything but. The poor were still being oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, all of these people were still being crushed under the, the, the feet of those who had much. And God said, I don't care what you do sacrificially, if you're not living according to the overall purpose that I gave you this whole Torah, then I actually hate your keeping those things. I hate hypocrisy. You know, Jesus, when God put skin on and came to earth, the thing that would set him off was hypocrisy. The religious leaders who made a big deal about their external obedience to the law, but then didn't provide for their family or oppose the work of God in their midst or 
alienated the Gentiles that they were supposed to be a light to. So <clears throat> it's very interesting. You see the character of God in the Old Testament, and then you see what He looks like when He moves into the neighborhood, so to speak, in the New Testament as a person. So we've done monthly, right? So we do all the Genesis 1 things, evening, morning, weekly with the Sabbath, monthly when God created the sun and the moon back in Genesis 1. Remember, He said the, sun, the greater light, the lesser light, they are to be for times and seasons and special occasions. That's their purpose. The sun and the moon were to mark the times, right? So we're seeing that all in this. Now we move to the yearly calendar. And this is where the chapter uh, bleeds over into, this is if I were doing a chapter break, I probably wouldn't have done it here because um, they're going to give us the first two yearly holidays and then chapter 29 will give us the, the latter three yearly holidays. But we're just going to go into it and we'll see how much we get through. <clears throat> the first, remember from Leviticus, the Hebrew year, the calendar year was broken into two halves, basically. So you had... Winter didn't really count because nobody likes winter. Uh, there's no snowboarding back then, so it's not even fun. Um, there's just winter. Then comes the spring. In the spring then, there's a harvest. There's a, there's, there's a bringing in of the crops, and, or, or planting and then the harvesting rather, of the spring crops. Then there's time that passes, and then you get into the fall. And the fall begins the new year, Rosh Hashanah, which actually just happened a couple of weeks ago, I think, um, by our time. And then there's the celebration of the fall festivals. And it culminates at the end with a big celebration and a big thank you to God for all of the harvest for the whole year that He's given you. And then comes the winter. And then the winter goes around and then you do it again the next spring. So their calendar was based on their agriculture. Now it's fascinating because where is he giving them this calendar? Where are they right now? In the desert. They're on the plains of Moab. They're in the desert. There is no planting or harvesting. There's, there's subsistence and there's shepherding. That's all they know. They will not begin any of this until Joshua takes them into the land. So all of this is like telling a group of former slaves that have become kind of God's new army, but they're sort of a rabble and their parents all died off in the wilderness from disobedience and this is the new generation and they want, they're, they're a little more eager than their parents, a little more obedient than their parents, little. And they're, they're like, let's go, we're kind of ready to do this. And so just telling them, okay, well, once you get in there, this is what you're going to give. This is how you're going to celebrate God and this is the promise that He's making to you. So just psychologically, they're in the desert. So you always have to put yourself in the wilderness. Desert's not really a right term because we think of Sahara, and it's not always like that. It's wilderness. They're in a wilderness. They're in an uncultivated place. Rocky, barren. So here's their calendar season. We'll start with the spring season, the first two. This first one, Passover. On the 14th day of the first month, the Lord's Passover is to be held. And there were directions for this all back in Exodus. On the 15th day of this month, there's to be a festival. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast. And the Exodus explained all the reasoning behind that because that's what they ate, because they had to go. They were... This is celebrating the Exodus, the leaving of Egypt. So eat bread without yeast because your parents had to make that bread and be ready to go in the middle of the night. They couldn't let it set. They couldn't let it rise. It had to be... They had to make camping food, basically. That's what it is. When you make camping food, you, you take the... Not, uh, camping food is not gourmet. We'll just say that. 
So, uh, on the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. And that term is like no occupational work, no business. That's what the Sabbath primarily prohibits. Business. It doesn't pick, prohibit picking up your mat and walking, which is how I've been perverted by the time of Jesus. It doesn't prevent healing somebody who's been born blind, which is how it had been perverted by the time of Jesus. It doesn't prevent, uh, you know, whatever little hobby you do or, or taking X number of steps or even using an elevator, which is how some modern proponents of Sabbath even police it. Uh, there are all these rules and layers and layers and layers. You can read about them in the Mishnah. You can read about them in modern Orthodox circles. That All these things you can't do on the Sabbath to build a hedge around it to supposedly keep you from violating it. But as believers in Jesus, as followers of the Lord of the Sabbath, we look at how He treated it and what He said, and lo and behold, it matches up with what the Old Testament said. The Sabbath is when you don't do your job, you trust God to provide. And it doesn't become an enslaving thing, it's a liberating thing. And when it gets to the point where it's enslaving you, you've missed the boat. Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath, is how Jesus put it. But on this day, this is a Sabbath. No work. Business stops. Verse 19, present to the Lord an offering made by fire, a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. With each bull, prepare a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two-tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one-tenth. Include one male goat as a sin offering to make atonement for you. Prepare these in addition to the regular burnt offer, morning burnt offering. In this way, prepare the food for the offering made by fire every day for seven days as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It's to be prepared in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Do no business. Do no occupational work. So this is the first of the great holidays, and it's seven days. It's a, seven, it's a week long, hearkening back to the creation account, hearkening back to the rhythm of work a week, rest, celebrate. And so it's doing that. This is the Passover. It celebrates the Exodus, but it also coincides with the spring barley harvest. So the early crop that would be harvested would be barley. And the Exodus would be commemorated during that time because that's the time that God brought them out of Egypt. God did these acts of redemptive history in, in just the right times that they would coincide with the agricultural calendar in the land of Canaan. All the strings start tying together. And so when they get into the land, even their farming, even their vineyard tending is going to remind them of this cycle yearly of God's redemptive history. So there's no sacred work and secular work in God's kingdom. The, the work you did to feed your family was hearkening to the promises of God. And it was on a cycle that just happened to, just happened to, <laughs> coincide with how God had redeemed His people. So the calendar of Israel is vastly important for keeping their identity for who they are. So then, the next celebration was the Feast of Weeks. Verse 26, on the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the Feast of Weeks, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. With each bull, there's to be a grain offering, three tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil. With the ram, two tenths, and with each of the seven lambs, one tenth. 
Include one male goat to make atonement for you. Prepare these together with their drink offerings in addition to the regular burnt offering and its grain offering. Be sure the animals are without defect. So this holiday now, this Feast of Weeks, 50 days after the first holiday that commemorated the Exodus, now this is the Feast of Weeks, or sometimes it's called uh, the Shavuot in Hebrew, or, or, or we know it 50 days after. 50 days. Pentecost. We know this is Pentecost. This is the day that Israel celebrated God giving them the Torah. 50 days after coming out of Egypt, wandering, you know, being chased by Pharaoh through the Red Sea, all that stuff, arriving at Mount Sinai and receiving the law. That's what it was meant to symbolize. And it also was the first fruits, the harvest, the promise that if you keep this law, if you obey this Torah, when I bring you into the land, you will have these crops. You will have this produce. And, and here's, here's a first fruits of that. So here's the beginning of that. And if the beginning is there, that you know that the end is going to be there. That's what the whole concept of first fruits means. It's that first little sign that, yeah, the rest is coming in. There's going to be a harvest. And they would go on and they would do that. But this, this holiday, this festival, celebrating 50 days after Pentecost, the giving of the law, the giving of the covenant. It's no accident in the New Testament, Jesus crucified on Passover. 50 days after that, Pentecost. What happened to His crucifixion? Rescue. Liberation from sin. Being released from Egypt. That's why He said, this is the blood of My covenant. The new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The release from bondage. 50 days later, why didn't He just, why didn't he just drop the Holy Spirit that day? Right? He already resurrected. What was He waiting for? Fulfilling the Jewish calendar. Fulfilling the Hebrew year. 50 days later, when our people are all coming to Jerusalem to gather from all over the empire, Jews from everywhere who don't even speak Hebrew anymore, their languages are Aramaic or Egyptian or these different dialects, when they're all in Jerusalem celebrating the giving of the covenant, that's when the Holy Spirit is going to fall. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the giving of the new covenant. So they now are saying this thing of Moses, this covenant that He gave us, this law that we're going to live by has been expanded. And now, we as Israel, like our forefathers, have been given, or the mission has been restated. Be a light to the Gentiles. Jesus says, go into all the nations. Spread the Gospel. See, Jesus, none of the stuff that He does in the New Testament is accidental. And all of it is built around Israel's history. Why? Because He's Israel's Messiah. He's not the Messiah for Gentiles. He's not the Savior for Gentiles. He's the Savior of Israel. So that then Israel can bring in the Gentiles that God had promised through the prophets hundreds of years before He would one day bring into His family. And so that's one of the things that is sad about the history of the church is we've de-Judaized our faith to the point where some Christians even teach, well, Jesus is the Gentile Savior, but the Jews, they have Moses and Torah, so they're good. No, 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 no. They're loved. They're honored. 
they're God's chosen people to bring forth the Messiah that would bless the world. And so for that reason, if nothing else, they should be loved and they should be reached out to and they should be seen not as enemies, but as beloved. However, that is not salvific. Because the Jewish Messiah was the one who embodied and fulfilled this entire system. And He sent His Jewish apostles to their fellow Jews who were waiting for the Jewish Messiah with the Jewish message of the Gospel. And only later did they start realizing, hey, Gentiles are coming into this thing too. Gentiles are being, these wild branches are being grafted into our olive tree. What's up with that? And they had to wrestle with it. The tragedy was that soon that became the norm. And the, 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 the Hebrewness, the Hebraic nature, the, the Jewish identity of Yeshua got transposed into a Greco-Roman concept. And we get that today as Jesus. Now, does that mean you have to start saying Yeshua and you have to start keeping the Hebrew uh, festivals and all of this stuff? No, 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 no. That's, that's missing the forest for the trees. The point is, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. The fulfillment of the Jewish Scriptures. Or He's nothing. That's the point that we and our Jewish brothers and sisters need to remember. Is He's either what Judaism as it was given, what the, Hebrew, what the people of Israel were always intended to be grafted into, or He's a heretic from the pits of hell. He's, he's not a hybrid. He's not one or the other. And that's what's so scandalous about Jesus' identity as He seeks to embody Torah. If He is who He says He was, then there's a tough, tough choice to be made by people who don't want to accept that and who want to remain with Moses. It's a tough choice. And ask any of your Messianic friends today. That's Jewish people who do believe Jesus is their Jewish Messiah. And they'll tell you, oh, it's a tough choice. Because because of the history of the church, because of the persecution of Christians, uh, of Jews by Christians, now when a Jewish person comes to see that Jesus is their Jewish Messiah, they're many times treated as worse than an unbeliever. Because it's seen as turning your back on the very Scriptures that Jesus came to embody. And that's the tragedy of the Gentile church. We, as in collectively, our tradition has done that by de-emphasizing the Jewish nature of Scripture, by getting rid of all of the Jewish holidays, by pronouncing all the names in their English version, anglicized version, de-Judaized version. It's James. No, it was Jacob. His name is Jacob. Right? It's it, it, Jewishness. Jesus. Well, his name was Yeshua because it's Joshua. He's Jewish. Pentecost, yeah, Pentecost, the celebration of the giving of Torah, not just the Holy Spirit Day, right? You celebrate them both. You see, oh, the giving of Torah pointed forward to the Holy Spirit descending. Passover pointed forward to Jesus' sacrifice. That doesn't mean it's no longer still celebrating the coming out of Egypt. It is because the coming out of Egypt was the baseline symbol for what it means to be saved, as we saw all last two years ago in our Exodus study. So, those are the spring festivals. Next week, we'll jump into 29. We'll pick up the fall festivals. Because it continues. It doesn't end. But we have to end. Because we have to get back to work. Because today is not the Sabbath. 
you do have to go do your occupational work. Um, but we'll pick it up next week. Keep that in mind as you're reading this. Always remember, we are reading, we are reading Jesus. It doesn't mean every chapter and verse has to say His name or point to a prediction. We're reading the very flow of worship that He then put skin on and lived out. Next May, I'm taking a group of people. we got 10 spots left. Whole trip's only $3,500, and that includes airfare. That's insane. Go on DiscipleDojo.org. Message me if you're interested in the trip. I'll give you the information. I'll give you a brochure. We'd love to have you. And you can actually come and see where all of this stuff that we're talking about happened. But for now, we got to go. Have a great week, everyone.